I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. Cheers, y'all. It's episode nine of the Wong Takes on a wonderful Tuesday. Let's get into it. First of all, let's cover what we've been covering the last couple of weeks, and that's the Kyrie Irving trade. It went through. The Celtics added a 2020 second round pick to finalize that deal. It is sending Kyrie Irving to the Celtics in exchange for Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, Ante Zizic, a 2018 first round pick, and a 2020 second round pick now. And while this is obviously another asset for the Cavaliers to build in, how much does it really help? Because I get that having a second round pick is great and all, but if Thomas is gonna, Isaiah Thomas is going to be healthy by 2020, even if LeBron leaves, how much is a 2020 second round pick really going to help you going forward? I know it gives you an extra player possibly to build on, like the max potential obviously for a second round pick is a guy like Draymond Green, but I don't know if you're going to get a superstar from the second round pick. So maybe they should have kept pushing and pushing for another like guy like Ante Zizic where you have him and you can work with him and you know he's going to work with you now. Because they were asking for people like Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, the young Celtics stars, but I think that's obviously too much because you already got Jay Crowder, who's a strong defensive presence, and you already got Isaiah Thomas, who's a rising star in the league. And for the Celtics, you finally see their collection of picks coming into play because, as I mentioned, they didn't have to give up that young potential star to finish off this deal, though they did have to give up a first-round pick for next year's draft, and that's where... That Nets, those Nets picks that they got, where they got a bunch of picks in exchange for Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett, I believe. That's where that comes into play. And also, this comes at a good time for the Celtics and the Cavs, because other teams are starting to make moves for Kyrie Irving. Like the Bucks offered Malcolm Brogdon and Chris Middleton, two young up and coming players, for Kyrie Irving. So it's good that the Celtics were able to or they were able to negotiate and get that deal off before someone else tried to come in and swoop in. So this should be fun next year to see them go at it. I believe they're playing in the first game of the year for the respective teams against each other. I think it's on October 17th. But yeah, I'm interested to see the reaction that each of the players gets from their opposing sides, and we will see that game and the rest of the season Coming up very shortly, actually. Just another month and a half or so. Alright, this is the big topic, number two, for this week. Because a lot happened. The U.S. World Cup qualifiers. One on Friday and one today on Tuesday. Their first game was on Friday against Costa Rica. And they lost that game 2-0 on two goals from Marco Urena, who actually plays in the United States in his club team, the San Jose Earthquakes. Goals in the 30th minute and the 82nd minute. And both goals, there was just too much space for him to operate. I believe one of them, the two backs, were about 35 yards apart for the United States, or at least according to the commentators. So he just had a ton of room to come in. It was a nice finish, so Tim Howard could have definitely made the save, but they couldn't. And the U.S. had opportunities, but they couldn't finish. And the goalie for the... Costa Rican side, Kaylin Navas, he definitely came out, showed up, played a good game, and finished, shut out the U.S. And there were a ton of Costa Rica fans at the game, which was played in Harrison, New Jersey, in Red Bull Arena. 
And the US actually has the power to choose this venue. So why did they pick that place? Because there were a lot of Costa Ricans that showed up and there's a large Costa Rican contingency in New York. Even though the US Soccer Federation tried to stop those fans from coming in actually by limiting ticket sales, but yet the fans still got in. So there's an upcoming game for the United States and Panama, their last home game of this World Cup qualifying session. And it'll be interesting to see how in Orlando, how well they can limit the Panamanian fans from coming in. So that was tough for the US, losing the first game, and that would setting them still in third place in the group, and I'll talk more about what that means later. But the second game, which just ended about a half an hour ago, the Hondur against Honduras in Honduras, there was just a lack of energy throughout. I didn't see the whole game, but I saw a lot of it, and they just didn't have energy going forward. They couldn't string passes together. Honduras kept having chances. They probably should have scored more than they did. But nonetheless, the game ended 1-1 with a Honduras goal in the first half and a Bobby Wood goal in the 85th minute, so five minutes to go. And that came off a set piece, free kick specifically, which the U.S. have been pretty good at overall with a Kelly Acosta free kick and the keeper saved. There's a really nice free kick in the top right corner. Saved and after some deflections, Bobby Wood knocked it in. So they're very lucky to escape with the tie because the crowd there was crazy. They had the Vuvuzelas. And the U.S. didn't look like they really had any momentum. They couldn't get anything going forward. But they started to push and they got that tying goal and they kept pushing, but Unfortunately, they couldn't come out with three points. But nonetheless, as far as the overall World Cup qualifying goes, the U.S. are now in third place out of six that are in the final round of World Cup qualifying in North America and the Caribbean. And they're third and they're tied with Honduras on points but they lead the goal differential. So what that means, and they lead by quite a bit. I think it's by about eight goals. So that means if the U.S. are tied with Honduras in points in the standings, they're probably going to be over Honduras, whether that be third place or fourth place. But the top three out of six automatically qualify for the World Cup, and the fourth place team goes into a playoff with Asia's fifth place team. So that probably means you would advance to the World Cup if you got in fourth, but it's not a given. And also, Panama, who is in fifth place right now, currently plays or plays Trinidad and Tobago tonight, who are probably or the worst team in the hex or in the World Cup qualifying, probably by far. And so, their pro- Panama's probably going to win that game and move them up into third place above the U.S. and Honduras, which means the U.S. obviously would drop to fourth, which is that playoff spot. And so, are they going to qualify? Well, the U.S. plays Panama, actually, head-to-head in Orlando on October 6th, and Honduras plays at Costa Rica. Honduras is currently tied with the U.S. in points. They play Costa Rica, who's in second place and is pretty much assured a World Cup berth. So, for the U.S., if they win that game, they would leapfrog Panama in the standings, and that would probably secure them a World Cup berth. A tie would be tougher because Honduras probably isn't going to beat Costa Rica, but Costa Rica doesn't have much to play for at this point, especially with Mexico in the first place spot. So how how much is Costa Rica, how well is Costa Rica going to play with nothing to play for? 
I don't know. But if the U.S. gets a tie against Panama, they might. They probably still make it to the World Cup, but they're probably going to have to play in the playoff also. A loss would be very, very catastrophic, and a win would pretty much secure them a World Cup berth. So tense moments for the U.S. men's national team. They really didn't have a good showing this weekend. But nonetheless, they're still in position to make the World Cup. And hopefully, in the start of October, they can pull it together. Bruce Arena can pull his squad together and just get some more points. And also, they played Trinidad in the last match. I didn't really talk about that, but they're playing Trinidad in their last match of World Cup qualifying. That's probably going to be a win. So all this is kind of based on that assumption. All right, topic number three I'm very excited about. College football is back. Some scores from the weekend. Probably going to go top 10 here. Number 10, Oklahoma State beat Tulsa 59-24. Number 2, Ohio State toppled Indiana 49-21. Number 8, Washington beat Rutgers 30-14. Number 9, Wisconsin defeated Utah State 59-10. Maryland topped Texas. Number 23, Texas 51-41. And that's a little disappointing for Texas because they got a new coach, Tom Herman from Houston. And they were hoping he would make a difference, but it looks like they still have a long way to go, especially with the defense. Number six, Penn State toppled the Akron Zips, 52-0. Number five, Clemson beat Kent State, 56-3. And in a marquee game, number 11, Michigan beat number 17, Florida, 33-17. And that shows off the Michigan defense there. In fact, Florida's only two touchdowns that came off consecutive pick sixes. So that was pretty funny. And this really shows that Michigan can make a title run this year. Wilson Spate's a quality quarterback, even though he threw two pick sixes. And they've got a good backup of John O'Corn, so they're pretty, pretty deep if they're hit with the injury bug. Even though they turned over the, a lot of their defensive roster, this shows that they can still show up. With Jim Harbaugh, he can do magic thing, magical things. They can show up and win against some of the best teams in the country. Number 7, Oklahoma, beat UTEP 56-7. USC, number 4, squeaked by Western Michigan, row the boat 49-31. And in the marquee game of the weekend, number 1, Alabama, beat number 3, Florida State 24-7. And Alabama's defense is dominant again. It's amazing how they can keep creating or keep finding new great players in a system like college football where you have players going out every four years. And Alabama are the clear favorites to win the title again. Number one coming in, they beat the number three team in the country. Some people were saying this was the greatest opening night game in college football recent memory, and they dominated. So also, big story from that game, DeAndre Francois, the quarterback of Florida State, he is out for the year on a late patella tendon injury. So, not sure exactly who's going to take over, but it's probably going to be true freshman James Blackman, who, he's a true freshman, by the way, not a redshirt freshman. So, he's coming in just fresh out of high school, and it's going to be interesting to see how he can take over the offense, and if he can run it with any ease, or if he can show dual threat that can back other teams off. But, as far as Florida State, hate to say it, but their title hopes are probably over because they're... Even though they lost a game, and it's only to Alabama, so this isn't going to hurt your team in the eyes of the committee too much. But nonetheless, 
They're probably going to drop a couple the rest of the season. I think they're playing Miami, which is going to be a tough matchup. So I don't think they're going to be making it into the college football playoff. And even if they do, with DeAndre Francois for the season, they don't really stand a chance against a team like Alabama again. Otherwise, Texas A&M versus UCLA. Neither of these teams are ranked, but there was a 34-point comeback led by Josh Rosen, the quarterback at UCLA. They scored 35 consecutive points at the end of the game to go from down 44-10 to winning 45-44. And they scored 28 points in the fourth quarter. And this is the second largest comeback in FBS history. So, wow. That was just a crazy game. I turned it off partway through or I flipped to a different game because this is just like, oh my god, the game's over now. It's 44-10. And Texas A&M has all the momentum. But, hey, it's the Rose Bowl. Anything can happen. And that was a pretty exciting finish. And this is why I love college football, man. You know, all these exciting finishes, even with teams that aren't ranked in the top 10 or top 15, like the Virginia Tech-West Virginia game was thrilling to see, that Texas A&M-UCLA game. Even the Tennessee-Georgia Tech game went to double overtime. I love the college football overtime system, by the way. And Georgia Tech couldn't convert a two-point conversion to win the game, and they lost. So just thrilling stuff throughout, and college football is back. And for college football and the National Football League, we'll be doing an update kind of like this throughout the year for each week. All right, a quick little topic four to finish off the major topics for the day. Major League Baseball streaks. There are some going on right now. The Cleveland Indians have won 12 straight to open up a 10-game AL Central lead. And this team actually went streaking last year, too. And they're looking to avenge that Game 7 loss to the Cubbies in last year's World Series. And they look like a team that can get back. They've got the pitching. They've obviously got the hitting. And they're looking good. And also, the Arizona Diamondbacks have won 11 straight games in the NL West, which is pretty amazing to do. And that puts them six and a half games up on the second wild card spot above their division foes, the Rockies. And they're only 12 and a half games back of the Dodgers, believe it or not. The Dodgers are having this incredible season, but they've hit a rough stretch recently. I think they've lost nine out of their last 10. So that's pretty crazy. And like I said, the Diamondbacks, they've been, it's crazy that they're doing this in the NL West. They've even swept the Dodgers, which even when the Dodgers looked invincible was kind of crazy to think about. And they won a game yesterday against the Dodgers, so they've won four straight against them. And in fact, they're getting contributions from everybody, even their new addition, J.D. Martinez, who came over a couple months ago. Last night, he hit four home runs in one game. He had a home run in the second and the seventh, eighth, and ninth, which is pretty crazy to think about. Uh, in the middle of a Diamondbacks 13-0 win. And believe it or not, he's only the 18th player ever to do that. So hitting four home runs in a game is actually more rare than getting a perfect game. I mean, 27, maybe less than that. Something like that, perfect games in MLB history, and only 18 players have hit four home runs in a single game. So that's pretty crazy. And we're going to see if these streaks continue, and if they can hold them going into the playoffs, because... We're starting to see the playoff race take form. The Dodgers are starting to falter a little bit, so maybe this is a prelude to their usual or postseason struggles. And we're starting to see other teams emerge, like the Diamondbacks and the Indians. And the Astros have been consistent all year, and they're looking prime for a playoff run. So very exciting stuff heading into the playoffs. And this being a once-a-week podcast, you'll get big updates when it comes to the MLB playoffs because you can see the whole series since they're just going game to game.
Okay, that wraps up the major topics. Don't forget, you can submit fan questions, and they could be answered right now in the podcast. But in the meantime, let's go to the quick take. The Red Sox reportedly are caught using electronic devices like Apple Watches to steal Yankees signs. Wow, this is weird. I don't know how major of a story this is because everyone knows that people signs or steal signs. It's kind of gamesmanship at this point, even though the MLB probably discourages it. But according to sources, the Red Sox, quote, executed a scheme to illicitly steal hand signals from opponents' catchers in games. And there's a something about using your Apple Watch to relay a message to players. This is weird. Is the MLB going to have to institute a technology thing where, like, you're not allowed to use certain technologies? That'd be kind of ironic, especially because the MLB is using moving toward technology. And this is, I guess, part of a bigger debate about technology and sports, because if you're going to use it to steal signs, and if there's, say, we get an... I know this is kind of off-topic, but if you have, like, an automatic strike zone, is that going to could that be used to... Someone could hack into it and totally change how the game is called. So this is weird, and you're probably going to see more of these things as more of this technology comes out that teams can use to get an edge beyond the old days of pine tar and Vaseline. You're going to see a lot of more technological things teams are using to try to get an edge. All right, thank you for listening to the podcast. You can check the podcast out on thewongtakes.wixsite.com slash thewongtakes. There you can send in questions and get them answered on the show. And you can see a full archive of show episodes and get various links to listen to the podcast on various platforms. Check out the Patreon, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash thewongtakes. You can check out the feed. You can send in questions on the feed. You can get your name shouted out or get it in the description of a podcast episode. That's pretty cool. And you can email thewongtakes at gmail.com with your questions, comments, concerns. And also, I will take fan questions from that email, and I will say them on, ask them on the show and answer them on the show. So, thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week.